You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Malicious ads in a chatbot. Google provides clarification on a recent vulnerability. Plop switches from Tor to Torrents. Influence operations as an adjunct to weapons of mass destruction. Our guest, Jeffrey Wells, former Maryland cyber czar and partner at Sigma 7, shares his thoughts on what the looming U.S. government shutdown will mean for the nation's cybersecurity. Tim Eads from Cyber Mentor Fund discusses the three who's a cybersecurity entrepreneur needs to consider. And NSA has a new AI security center. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Friday, September 29th, 2023. Researchers at Malwarebytes warn that Microsoft's AI chatbot Bing Chat can be abused to serve malicious ads. When the tool is used to search for a service, it may offer sponsored results similar to those seen at the top of a regular search engine query. In this case, Malwarebytes says the malicious actor hacked into the ad account of a legitimate Australian business and created two malicious ads, one targeting network admins and another lawyers. The links led to spoofed websites designed to trick users into downloading malware. Google has updated its account of a vulnerability and issued a patch to address exploitation in the wild. TechCrunch reports that what had formerly been perceived as a vulnerability in Chromium is in fact a problem with the open-source LibWebP library used by Chromium developers. Researchers at Huntress are tracking CVE 2023-4863, a critical heap buffer overflow vulnerability, in the LibWebP library used by Chromium. LibWebP is widely used by applications for supporting the WebP image format. The vulnerability's description says the flaw has been exploited by a remote attacker to perform an out-of-bounds memory write via a crafted HTML page. Huntress says, A full list of affected software is still unknown at this time. Any software that uses the vulnerable library is likely affected. Due to the prolific use of LibWebP as a software library, the attack surface of this vulnerability is likely extensive. The patch to LibWebP 1.3.2 fixes this issue upstream of its implementation, 
However, any software that ships with LiveWebP is potentially vulnerable. The researchers add, Right now, the most prudent step to take is to update any web browsers and ensure you have a solid software inventory that includes software versions. Being able to quickly identify where you have vulnerable versions of software as patches are released will greatly reduce your risk. The Klopp ransomware gang has moved away from posting stolen files to a Tor dump site in favor of releasing them in torrents, Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 reports. It's a quicker way of moving large amounts of data, and so a faster way of pressuring victims into paying extortion demands. But speed and convenience come, as they so often do, at the cost of security. Klopp was an early criminal adopter of double extortion ransomware attacks, stealing data and threatening its release to increase the pressure on victims. The threat of doxing is in addition to the classic ransomware approach of encrypting victims' data and offering a decryptor in exchange for ransom payment. Many gangs now skip the encryption altogether and move directly to the doxing. Tor can be slow and relatively inaccessible, and Klopp found it slowed down the gang's ability to crowd the large number of victims it accumulated during exploitation of MoveIt vulnerabilities. So, the shift to torrents. The downside for Klopp is that the gang's operations are now more susceptible to inspection. Unit 42 says, In this case, the result of this research is a handful of hosting servers out of Russia that hold enormous amounts of stolen victim data. We can expect much more to come in the following weeks. The U.S. Strategy for Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction published yesterday and was informed in part by observation of Russia's war against Ukraine. The strategy notes that the PRC and Russia have also proven adept at manipulating the information space to inhibit attribution of its activities, to reduce trust and confidence in the effectiveness of countermeasure, and to potentially slow decision-making following WMD use. China is seen as the pacing threat, Russia as the acute threat. And finally, as artificial intelligence becomes increasingly important to national security, the U.S. will form an organization devoted to the secure use of AI in national security systems and in the defense industrial base that supplies them. The director of the U.S. National Security Agency, General Paul Nakasone, announced this week that NSA will establish a new AI security center. Its mission will be to help keep the U.S. ahead of foreign peer competitors in the use of AI. Breaking Defense quotes General Nakasone as saying, The AI security center will become NSA's focal point for leveraging foreign intelligence insights, contributing to the development of best practices, guidelines, principles, evaluation methodology, and risk frameworks for AI security with an end goal of promoting the secure development, integration, and adoption of AI capabilities within our national security systems and our defense industrial base. General Nakasone offered a brief account of what AI security actually means, stating, AI security is about protecting AI systems from learning, doing, and revealing the wrong thing. It is a set of practices to protect AI systems and life cycles from digital attacks, theft, and damage. We must build a robust understanding of AI vulnerabilities, foreign intelligence threats to these AI systems, and ways to counter the threat in order to have AI security. We must also ensure that malicious foreign actors can't steal America's innovative AI capabilities to do so.
So the AI Security Center has a protective mission. It will be housed within NSA's Cybersecurity Collaboration Center, and it's expected to work closely with interagency and private sector partners. The center's size and leadership are yet to be announced. In the meantime, welcome then to Fort Meade's latest tenant. Coming up after the break, Jeffrey Wells from Sigma 7 shares his thoughts on what the looming U.S. government shutdown will mean for the nation's cybersecurity. Tim Eads from Cyber Mentor Fund explains the three who's a cybersecurity entrepreneur needs to consider. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show Jeffrey Wells. He is a partner at Sigma 7, also formerly Maryland's Cyber Czar and a founding partner at NIST. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, David. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. So as you and I get together here today, it is uh, the morning of Friday, September 29th, and the potential government shutdown is looming large here. Uh, can we start off with just uh, your take? Uh, what are the odds that we're actually going to see a shutdown here in your estimation? I think we're 99% going to, unless there's some sort of last minute miracle, I think uh, the shutdown is inevitable at this yeah. point. Yeah. Everything I've, I've seen and, and heard last night in D.C., uh, yeah, it doesn't look like there's any movement. Well, let's talk about uh, the potential implications of that for the folks who are tasked with defending our nation's cybersecurity where does that leave us? Unfortunately, uh, it does not leave us in a, a great position. I think we can liken the shutdown as a tool and its impact both on, on government and then the ripple effects to to commerce and, and the risk. A bit like extortionware at the moment, you know, it is this is going to hit CISA incredibly hard. Somebody told me last night that you know eighty percent of CISA employees will be furloughed which leaves somewhere around 500 employees to maintain operations. And that's uh, an incredible challenge 
for those 500 employees, but also, you know, they're not being paid during that period. Sure, at some point when the government comes back into business um, and is operational, they'll, you know, they'll get back pay most likely. But the morale of trying to uh, to defend and be responsible for sharing information and, you know, and, you know which CISA's in charge of cybersecurity and infrastructure security, that's a pretty heavy load for 500 individuals. And then you, that you start to think about that as a ripple effect is, you know, our national intelligence NSA is, you know, we'll have uh, individuals that are furloughed. This happened back in, you know, 2017, 2018. And it's going to take an incredibly long time for, for business and government to, to recover because of the great work that, um, and, and I really do call it great work that CISA and the U.S. government um, have, have done over the last couple of years to ensure that information sharing takes place. And with the shutdown, there'll be no information sharing or it's going to be incredibly challenging. And I think it's going to feel much like a ransomware or an extortionware attack where everyone's going to feel incredibly under-resourced, uh, overtasked, and incredibly tired uh, and underappreciated. I've heard folks say that uh, President Biden could come at this by making the folks at CISA part of critical infrastructure, saying similar to the way folks in the TSA work through a shutdown like this. Do you have any insights there? Yeah, technically he could, not inside of CISA. There, you know, the contingency plans um, and uh, response plans that uh, that CISA has, you know, is is a bit of ch- of a challenge and uh, t- to understand completely what that would mean. You know, is would would he be able to say that all of them are, or that you know more than those five hundred? Then I guess. Thinking a little bit bigger beyond CISA is, you know, what does the president uh, or, you know, what can the White House really do is start deeming everything critical? And so the shutdown really doesn't happen uh, or, you know, it becomes uh, even more of a push and pull between the Hill and um, the White House for who's critical. And, you know, we've we've defined what critical is so that we can operate kind of on a skeleton crew but I just sort of have uh, kind of mixed uh, feelings that sure, you know, but when, where do you stop with those exceptions? And, you know, it's not just CISA. It goes beyond, you know, CISA to FBI to, to really all of the um, information security operations across the government enterprise and then, you know, to the ISACs and then kind of beyond to the federal funding that enables the information sharing and some of the operations. You know, again, where do you draw that line? I, I'm not the president uh, or uh, you know, the work <laughs> of the White House. Don't have to make those decisions, but you know, I don't think that uh, that we should be in a position to make those decisions. We shouldn't be having to deal with um, this extortion. Uh, really, uh, you know, and not to get political, but this is an extortion situation. If I'm a bad actor or, or working for one of our adversaries out there, am I looking at this as a potential opportunity? Yes. Putting on um, my chief evil officer hat, especially as a nation state or criminal uh, threat actor, I would be looking at this as a real opportunity to take advantage of the fact that, you know, again, people will be under-resourced, both at, at the government level as well as the commercial level, because uh, you know that information is is shared, 
that you know this is a, an opportunity to expand on programs that you know or vulnerabilities that have already been taken advantage you know just think of you know kind of uh, i was thinking last night of volt typhoon uh, you know uh, times you know exponential growth over the next you know 10 days um if i was a you know a threat actor um, operating, uh, you know, out of a particular uh, country uh, on the Black Sea, you know, I would be looking at ways to exploit this um, to my advantage. And there just are a lot of vulnerabilities that the government shutdown creates. Again, coming back to, to resources and um, and information, which are two of the greatest tools that organizations, both the U.S. government and private sector have it at, at their ready to be able to address those. You know, I think if they've been sitting in environments uh, while I heard uh, someone mentioned to me this morning, they were told not to, uh, to look at their government issued device while they were furloughed. You know, there were others who were said, kind of look at it occasionally to see if there's something <laughs> urgent, you know, right, which, right. <laughs> you know, is that between, you know, three and four o'clock on a Friday. I don't know, but yeah, the guidance is yeah, very clear. Um, and so in this chaos, um, you know, kind of come back to Sun Tzu or Klaus Witsian is uh, let's take advantage of it. And mm-hmm. I would, I would be, um, you know, utilizing every tool in my APT toolkit uh, to try to take advantage of our government shutdown. Yeah. All right. Jeffrey Wells is a partner at Sigma 7. He is former Maryland cyber czar and also a founding partner at NIST. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me, Dave. Uh, You have yourself a a wonderful weekend and uh, let's hope this uh, ends quickly. And it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show Tim Eads. He is the co-founder of the Cyber Mentor Fund and a serial entrepreneur. Tim, welcome back to the show. Dave, great to be here. I love doing these uh, podcasts. It's fantastic. Well, it's great to have you back. Uh, I know today we've got an interesting topic to share here. We're talking about uh, the three W's, three who's as you describe them. Unpack what we're talking about here today, Tim. Yeah, I mean, I've been an investor in cybersecurity companies and advising them for 20 years. Obviously, I just started my fourth one, and we have Cyber Mentor Fund that I'm a co-founder of. So we, we look at a bunch of different cybersecurity companies, and we see them kind of grow. And we, we, we're seeing a, a trend of what some of them do wrong that I think is worth talking about. They kind of lose sight. The, the, the ones that lose their way lose sight of what I refer to as the three who's. And the three who's are these. Who's your economic buyer? Who's the guy who's going to write the check? Who's your technical recommender? Right? Who actually gives the architectural blessing? And then who actually operates the product? Success is never a straight line in a startup. But if you lose sight of those three things, it's very, very difficult to build a company. Sometimes you'll find them that the three who's are in, at, at, a, at a very large bank in very different departments or very different organizations, in which case, it's very difficult to get a sales momentum, any sales momentum into your sales cycle, into your business. But what we find is if you keep, you know, who is your economic buyer, who is your technical recommender, and who is your operator, top of mind, 
And don't say the CISO, right? The CISO does so much. Who in his organization owns it or, you know, or not? But you have to get those ownership principles of those three who's, right? Otherwise, it's very difficult to build a business. Does it come to pass sometimes that these three who's aren't aligned, that they, they could be in conflict with each other? Not so much conflict if they are, but they, if the sales, if the sales team and the product team and the, the CEO and, and you know, the startup doesn't know who they are, you, you'll get lost, right? You end up building products that are incomplete. You end up building things that are, you know, almost it has three heads as opposed to just one. And what you find is, let, let's say you're going to build a, a product that is in the firewall business, right? It's, you know, you need the guy who buys the firewalls, the guy who sets the policy on the firewalls, and the guy who operates the firewalls. If you're in the identity business and you, 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 you're after identity access management, you, there's an identity access management architect, there's the identity access buyer, and there's the operator of the tools. You know, I know this sounds simple, but lots of startups lose that. And they, it's a real trick question when you're going to look to a startup and you're about to meet them or invest in them is do, who, who are the three who's? And it's particularly in the enterprise world, it's, it's, it's a great question to ask. Can we dig in a little bit on, on this notion of who operates the product? Because that, that really strikes me as being key here. I can imagine that the short-sighted view of saying, you know, we've got to make this sale, so we're going to target the person who, who purchases something, but then that might not be the same person who's working with it day-to-day. Very rarely is the same person in any organization of any real size. So, you know, if you don't know who the operator is, there's a guy that they could say no to your business. You don't know how familiar he is with the competitive products or the legacy products, but you've got to be, you know, a live a day in the life. So as you build the product, as you build the user interface, you want to make sure that the operator of the product has a fantastic experience. I mean, the, the best example of this, actually, if you go all the way back to the early days of uh, Palo Alto Networks, Panorama, their user interface was legendary because the people that just knew it and loved it and built on it. Um, Splunk in the early days was the same thing. But some of these people, some of the, the, the startups these days, can't answer the question, who is your day-to-day operator of the product? How do you recommend that organizations kind of dial this in? Who, who do they focus on? How do they set their priorities? Well, it, it's up to the startup to understand as they go through their little phases of, you know, seed funding to A to B to C to D, to keep this notion front and center, to keep the operator, well, the, the three who's front and center, in particular the operator. Because what happens is at the operator level, in particular, they will share information between other operators and they can give you really good operating feedback on how to operationalize the technology. So it's a good model if you can, if you can keep that center. All right. Well, certainly something interesting to consider. Tim Eads, thanks so much for joining us. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus-year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. 
Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with David Liebenberg from Cisco Talos. We're discussing their discovery of cracked Microsoft Windows software being downloaded by enterprise users all over the world. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. Cyber.